Good morning. This is Angelo Gonzalez with Miss Radio Podcast. We're coming into you with a podcast we had recorded this past weekend uh, with a colleague of mine, Gabriel Bronson Sanders, otherwise known as Gabe Sanders. So he is a graduate of Miss and of Miss Radio and is living up in Sonoma County working on public policy and of the like, uh, engaging with people on the ground and trying to understand this moment. Uh, this has been a podcast series, part two. Um, so we're going to dive a little bit more so on the policy end of things in this episode. And I do regrettably acknowledge that a lot has changed uh, in terms of public sentiment towards uh, certain policies. So we're still learning uh, a lot as to where we can put our energy towards uh, for sound policy that works for our communities. Um, and it's going to vary from city to city. So it's just fascinating that um, we're even having this conversation. So, um, and that varies from eight can't wait to uh, defunding the police and, you know, all the, all the connotations that go with that type of phrasing, right? And then, of course, also uh, qualified immunity uh, doctrine, uh, legal doctrine that was uh, passed through Supreme Court in the 1960s. So these things are of interesting conversations. So without further ado... Um, I hope you enjoy this conversation and uh, it meets you well. So thank you. Making some chicken fettuccine as we speak. Pollo fettuccino. Si, si se puede. El pollo fettuccine. Damn. How many languages do you know, sir? Uh... God, I'm getting that confused with Portuguese. I know a little Italian. A little Portuguese. <laughs> um, Io so poco d'Italiano. Oh, Posso man. parlare come si... No, I don't know the subjunctive. <laughs> you, you are quite the world traveler. Sapir? I don't know. And I could just make it up and you'd probably... You'd probably I, I, yeah. fall for it. You wouldn't know the difference. Unless you speak no. Italian secretly. Um, neither uh, of us only hand, only, only hand gestures. Uh, that's 90% of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, sweet, man. Um, good to have you on. Uh, I, this is part two, ladies and gentlemen, of figuring out what the heck is going on um, in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. I... Um, was talking to Emmy Ham yesterday. And the Emmy Ham. The Emmy Ham. Yeah, it was fantastic. She's on the East Coast these days. So, That's right. Um, we had quite a bit to say. Uh, I, I was catching her up on on my life. She was catching me up on her life, and just kind of getting a, a better feel for, um, you know, how we're going to move forward individually on 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 our lives, you know, given the current situation that we're in. Um, we didn't really talk about the pandemic as much as, you know, just I think with the social unrest that, that we're seeing today and, um, 
that's kind of what I'd like to talk about with you today and just um, see where, where your heart's in all this. Um, like I said, I was telling Emmy yesterday that, you know, I took a, a social media hiatus, cleanse, however you want to call it, uh, two weeks ago. And all of a sudden, you know, this, this horrible tragedy occurs last Monday. So, you know, the, the reoccurring name George Floyd kept on being echoed. And I was like, okay, I, I need to figure out what's going on. And then I saw the video and, um, yeah, there, there really are no it's words. Hard. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a tough thing to watch. Um, so yeah, um, I, I know I gave you guys some questions and I, I, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to like reflect on, you know, two to three questions and then we can just sure. go from there. Yeah. I mean, so the one that kind of stuck out to me was the, it, it's more of a, it's kind of a technical question along the lines of, you know, what policy would you like to see? or what policies have come up related um, George Floyd's death and the general protest against excessive use of police force, uh, especially against black people and people of color. And I mean, for better or for worse, I've been listening to podcasts over the last week or so, most of which are contending with this issue and from one angle or another. And one of the most poignant discussions was not just about policy, but it was about the related kind of cultural shift that would take place related to that policy. Um, so I was listening to the Ezra Klein show. I finished the interview this morning. It was an interview with ta Coates. And he's a man of great talent and insight and depth when it comes to the topic of American culture as a as it relates to the relationship between the police and black people, um, the relationship between races, uh, which is would take days and days to do justice. But what they were discussing uh, was around the idea, you've heard defund the police. That's, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a major protest line. Um, and I'm listening to another podcast right now, which is Ezra Klein discussing that very topic. And that's, and that's coming from the, the Black Lives Matter movement, correct? That's coming from a lot of places. Um, okay. I, wouldn't, I couldn't yeah. tell you exactly who is kind of um, promoting that idea. You're hearing it everywhere. People in Black Lives Matter right. are probably promoting it. Um, it it's just something I, I've, I've seen in a lot of headlines, um, social media. But essentially the idea is remove funding for police forces as they exist today. Um, the question obviously is what happens if you defund police? Are you talking defunding them completely, making it so that they just don't exist? Or do you mean defunding their access to militarized equipment? or a militarized presence in the communities that they police. So th there are a lot of kind of open mm -hmm. questions as to what defund the police means. But 
that sort of philosophical cultural element of it is what really interests me because the police um, represent something that is fairly unique to American culture, um, which is just the kind of monopoly on violence. This is a term I wish I had made up because it's a very, um, very well thought out term, but the monopoly on violence that the American state in the kind of capital S state sense, that monopoly on violence is something that you don't see in other Western countries with similar demographics and sort of economic development. Um, just for comparisons, in Britain, most police are not armed with firearms. They might have a baton, but, but otherwise you have to make a special call somebody with firearms to a crime scene or a potential crime scene or a, a situation that requires law enforcement. In the United States, all police officers, unless they are maybe a community police officer like you've seen in Monterey, um, who are a great example of what I'm going to get to in just a sec that's been discussed, a different kind of policing um, that doesn't require firearms. But in the United States, they, they show up with firearms and they're bound to use them if the situation is escalating um, or if the person seems unstable. Without getting into too much of what I've been listening to, because there's a lot of detail there and I don't want to repeat all of it. Um, and I want to reiterate, this is not all original thought on my part, um, but I'm just communicating what sound like really good ideas to me. I was going to say, man, if, if this is original thought, then uh, <laughs> you need to get off this podcast right now. <laughs> well, you know, like, there's not there's nothing new under the sun as they say but um at, as they at say. the same time what a person out there in policy land throws out a good idea another person hears it and elaborates on it if somebody hears our conversation and it sparks a beautiful idea in their head and they share it and it gets enacted that means we've done our job that means that Ezra Klein and Ta-Nehisi Coates have done their jobs because it's the transmission of these ideas that matters as much as who originated them in the first place doing it for credit I don't think any of them care about it, um, but they do like making a living that they're making by coming up with these ideas. So the idea is by defunding the police, what do you end up with? You still have some kind of hmm. community resource to respond to situations where an ordinary citizen doesn't feel like they are equipped to deescalate. And this is a phrase that came up a lot. You need people who are trained to deescalate. But how often do you see people de-escalate a situation, especially now, and especially police de-escalating a situation with a person of color or a black person? How often does that work if that police officer has a firearm pointed at that black person or that white person, any person? How do you de-escalate with a firearm? Not as easily. Maybe it's possible, but it sure as shit doesn't help. Um, I hope you can bleep if you care. Um, so the idea is if you're defunding the police, what do you end up with? You end up with people who are trained as mediators, de-escalation tactical experts who can show up to a scene and not be kind of predisposed to resolve it with force, whether it's a threat of force or an actual use of it, where you don't end up with your knee on somebody's neck on the ground. You end up with your arm around their shoulder 
helping them to calm down because I don't know, Tanhasi told a very poignant story about a friend of his who ran some bars, I think, I want to say it was in New York City. I'm not totally, it might've been, oh no, sorry. I want to get to justice to this story. Um, He was talking about in his old neighborhood, I think it was in New York, where there was a, there was a, a club in his neighborhood that would get kind of rowdy on weekends. And mm. instead of calling the police, when the fights kind of spilled out of the bar into the streets, they would just call older men from around the surrounding neighborhood to come in and calm the situation down. This is a black neighborhood in Harlem that Todd and Hasse Coates grew up in. And it wasn't a particularly gentrified neighborhood at the time. Uh, so it was still mostly people of color, black people. It's, I guess, what you might think of when you think of Harlem. Um, but they didn't resolve it with police. They resolved it with just members of the community who sure as hell didn't come with guns. They came with experience. And they came with knowledge that that presence would be far superior to bringing in armed police officers who may or may not be and probably more likely than not were racially biased, as has been proven by history, as has been proven by recent events. So I'm just, I'm fascinated with the idea of, yes, defunding police as they are now and redirecting funds into training people to deescalate without firearms so that, and without, without the likelihood of potentially fatal tactics being used like a chokehold, like a knee on someone's neck on the ground. These outcomes are not necessary, but they're instinctual to the people who are in these jobs now because that's what they were either trained to do or it's what they like to do. Some of it is just because they are bad people. There are bad people on police forces. There are also good police forces who with different training could be much more effective in their job and not kill people or hurt people or send them to jail just for accidentally bringing a $20 bill that may or may not be counterfeit to a store. Like, Yeah. I think, I think what's, what's happening, you know, that there's this felt recognition by, um, you know, people across communities all over the U S that you know we we've tried more body cameras we've tried community policing we've tried you know supporting mental health support for officers implicit bias training and these reforms you know they've they've been tried in in police departments across the america and and something that i was reading up on um just the different um camps of thought on okay if we're going to defund the police what does that look like, right? And uh, Campaign oh, yeah. Zero, the DeRay yeah, McKinnon, yeah, civil the rights activist. Can't wait. Samson Youngway, the researcher, has been doing great work over the last few years. Um, they've been researching exactly right. which tactics, which trainings, which police practices, policy practices within departments actually result in less violence. Right. So it's it's interesting that 
McKenzie, he was talking about McKesson. that's it. How... Somewhere between what what we were each saying, Duray McKesson. Say his name. He deserves. He deserves credit. He's <laughs> yeah. been doing incredible work his whole career. He's 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 the man who's who's really honed in on, you know, the police department mm. as an institution of power in in America and how the the focus should be to reduce that power and to shrink that role and have a, you know, a transition like you said to, um, you know, just just when you were talking about that story of that man in New York City, um, you know, running his bars and just having you know, you know, we have to take an honest look at, you know, what we consider community, right? And and the ability to train up uh, civil society actors to to mediate a situation that may be difficult. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of uh, I was watching. Um, There's actually a really terrible miniseries called Waco. But it was highlighting the work of mediation and conflict resolution that the FBI usually performs in very intense, yeah. pressurized situations. And um, you know th- that you know the FBI, you know they were having qualms with this agent, you know, who wanted to use his tactics. And this this agent was pretty blunt about it. He was like, "Well, would you rather end up with casualties or no casualties?" Yeah. You know. And it goes back to your point of, you know, guns don't really uh, get get us to a point of, of, um, of no. like, safety. No, hell you no. Know, no one feels safe when they have a, you know. So I, I was taking a look at this article, and, you know, for those listening, um, it was recently published by Time magazine. And it, it, it goes into um, – defunding the police, but like from three different camps. And I just want to briefly cover this. The first, you know, would be a series of reforms to create more accountability Mm -hmm. for police departments um, and like regulate the use of force uh, by what has and has not happened in the past. And then the second advocacy uh, platform for defunding the police would be to increase the focus on defunding um, the police departments and direct those those funds um, from law enforcement and to social services, you know that that benefit our communities in a variety of ways. And then the last one, of course, is just abolishing, you know, leading ultimately to abolishing police altogether. Um, but so, like like you said, those all have behavioral consequences, right? In, in terms of the community. Are you talking about the behavioral consequences of a community without police as we know them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that as a as a moot point oh, for, well, for conservatives, gosh, I mean, right? The, they were they were talking about the approval <laughs> ratings, oh, God, which is an important an important uh-huh. kind of way to look at all this. But surveys of Americans, Democrats, conservatives, Black Americans as well, still majorities. Even, of these populations, these demographics still support police. They say they have favorable opinions of the police. The lowest percentage was 58%, and those were black Americans. That was their approval level of the police. Both Democrats and Republicans were in the 70s, but this is still majorities, large majorities even. And so, I mean, 
in the age of social media where everybody's got a phone on their camera, everything's amplified, even things are happening in a minority kind of way. Things that aren't happening to everybody, but are happening enough to enough people and in such egregious ways like we've seen that it's, it's, st- it's too much. Any violence like this is too much, especially with the history that our country has that's inexcusable and which hasn't been, I mean, reparations haven't been made in the literal or figurative sense. And that's another topic of conversation, reparations for black Americans. Um, but just the, the idea that we can continue as we are with police retaining the same level of that monopoly on violence um, where Americans, civilians are expected to, especially black civilians, expected to have more ability to keep their calm than the police themselves, where the police have license to protect themselves, Mm -hmm. even if on just the slightest bit of fear that their life is being threatened. Are you kidding me? Their job is to serve and protect. They know that they're putting their lives on the line. And the moment that their life becomes more important than community members that they are sworn to serve and protect, that means that something has gone egregiously wrong, either in your hiring practices or in your policies. I mean, the, the idea of qualified immunity has already come up for question. Justin Amash, of all people, former member of the Republican Party, outspoken critic of the president, and rightfully so, almost ran for president himself, but then considered otherwise, probably for the best. But he is already trying to advance legislation in Congress to overturn and eliminate effectively the qualified immunity that allows cops to injure, maim, kill members of the communities that are sworn to serve and protect simply because because of this immunity that they're granted as police officers where they're allowed to use force if they feel threatened. God, I mean, here in... That's, that's, now, is that coming, is that coming well, through a contract of some sort? Or I, where, to my knowledge, from? this is federal law. Um, federal law that can be enforced, federal and state law. You know, that is a question I can't answer with certainty. However, it is something that can be affected at the federal level. If you made a federal law about law enforcement officers that would probably apply to, I I would assume having imperfect knowledge of how federal law can override or seep into state levels. Obviously it's practicable and federal law matters everywhere. Um, But states have their own ability to create uh, legislation around this. But if you eliminate this qualified immunity, it means that officers just become citizens who are likewise not allowed to murder people. It's just not allowed. And there's a difference between killing in self-defense and murdering. Just like if somebody walks into your house with a gun and you have a gun of your own and you shoot them first, then you're probably not going to be charged with murder. Uh, right. And, and this, just, just so folks are aware that this doctrine of qualified immunity, it, it was established uh, in the 1960s, um, you know, to shield bad cops from lawsuits. I mean, so you were saying something um, about contracts. Or was this you know, something that had something to do with the police unions lobbying Congress or lobbying state legislation? 
because I know how powerful the well, police unions are in these situations. It, right, and that's something that um, McKesson was was discussing. You know, in terms of, you know, if, if we're going to basically not only defund the police but also, um, you know, bring about a significant uh, decrease in power of you know, police department uh, as an institution, then you have to consider looking oh, at yeah. like, police union contracts I mean, that's, and eliminating that's, that as that's well. That's tough work. Because it, yeah, that's given. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not going to come come to no surprise that, you know, our law enforcement is, you know, we're, we're living in a time where the, the, the taking a look at, you know, what needs to be done uh, as a status quo uh, to be shifted from, from what it is today. It's, well, it's, yeah, I mean, the police officers, members of the military, you know, they are sacred cows, as it were. These are things that are valorized in American culture. And this is that cultural shift that I was kind of, so kind of bringing it back around, like the cultural shift that they were getting at Ezra Klein and Tom mm. Coates is about kind of removing this prestige and valor of being trained in violence in order to provide law enforcement services, but rather being trained in de-escalation and conflict resolution and mediation and valorizing those qualities instead. That's, I mean, but if you think about what America is and what it has been, especially in the 20th century when it became a military superpower, our goal has been to monopolize violence, not, not just as a federal government over its people, or a state government over its people, but as the preeminent superpower in the world. Right. I mean, you just look at the nuclear arms race and look at the way that we, I mean, <laughs> um, you know, Obama advanced the, a new START treaty and now the current president refuses to, um, to, to the current limitations on nuclear armaments in the world, nuclear testing. There's a, I don't remember the name of it right now, but there's an international sort of treaty limiting nuclear testing and nuclear, basically acquiring more nuclear weapons, which the U.S. was part of formulating, but which it refuses to ratify itself. So the U.S. is saying, you all mm. can't make nukes. You can't have any more if you have them. But we... We are exempt. We want the monopoly on the use of force. And this carries from our, our country's presence in the world down into the presence of police in a community where no one else is allowed to use violence, even if their lives are threatened. It just, it, 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 it just it resonates yeah, and resonates um... from the top to the bottom and outward and inward. It, it, reminds me of um, exactly what Antonio Gramsci was trying to highlight all throughout his life, right? In that within, you know, a society that we live in, there's this cultural hegemony, you know? It's this domination of, you know, a diverse society, but a domination nevertheless by, you know, a class that wants to manipulate the culture of that society. And that's what we've seen, you know, we've seen established belief systems, established explanations of what we should do next and like, okay, let's continually reform, let's 
you know, not all police, you know, police lives matter. Um, and, and we can't, we can't fake it anymore, you know, because it's right. not making a better society. It's, it's deconstructing, you know, we're seeing the very fabric of our society being torn in, in, in the streets and a leader who's saying, no, we need I know. our streets that, to be that's dominated. That's the same language, the same By culture. that cultural hegemony. I mean, current president is a manifestation of this culture as it's evolved and grown into the monster that it is Correct. over the last 250 years. This idea that domination is the only way. Right. Exactly. We're fighting a war against ourselves at this point, you know. And, you know, when you look at the heart of the matter, that, that, that's what tears me up inside is that, like, we're, we're all Americans here, you know. Um, and and there, there shouldn't be no question about it. it you know, the, the idea is that we should be, you know, their fight as an African-American should also be our fight. And, you know, moving forward with that, that, that was something that I think I've seen a lot of on, you know, um, you know, this, this cross-cultural empathy, you know, um, whether you're mixed race, whether you're white, whether you're, you're Hispanic, whether you're uh, Asian, you know, it, it, it's kind of this thing where, like, we've all kind of stopped and paused for a moment and realized, like, wait a minute, um, this needs to be amplified if, if change is really going to occur. Um, and, and that's part of what, you know, I was talking to Emmy about this on the mm -hmm. six steps of, of nonviolent social change that Dr. King was really emphasizing. And the first mm -hmm. step is information gathering. You know, and, and, you know, they didn't even have social media back then, but they knew that, you know, he was incredibly um, ahead of his time, you know. And the second step is education. The third step is a personal commitment. The fourth, discussion, a negotiation. The fifth, direct action. And then the sixth, you know, Oof. reconciliation, you know, the, that establishment of what he called the beloved community, you know, the, the idea that, you know, you could go into a black community and get a haircut, you know, and you, you yeah. seek out, you know, friendship, you seek out understanding because at the end of the day, you know, black or white, you know, um, I've got good friends from all backs, all backgrounds of life. And I know you do too, you know, coming from this, it's, it's no secret that what makes us great is our unique contribution to society, you know, um, and the more that is emphasized and we can de-emphasize, you know, this cultural hegemony that has waged war, you know, on us for so long, um, that's, that's the, the ongoing fight that has been fought through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and up until today, you know, it's, well, that's I thought we it was taught. over a long time ago, but apparently, apparently not. High school. Even, I mean, you know, yeah. frankly, I didn't, I, I, I should have taken more American history classes when I was in, an, in undergrad. Um, I took, I was an international relations major, so I was looking outward, not I got the chance to start looking inward as a grad student, and that I, that was an invaluable experience that has forever changed the way I'll look at the world. And like you were saying, this this moment, and 
I think I told you this on the phone before we had this conversation, but in the same way that kind of our generation, Generation X, before us to a degree, but mostly ours, millennials, Generation Y and Z, hopefully after us, climate change became became an issue that no one can ignore in our generation anymore. And just if you polled people in our generation, most of them would say it's a big problem and we got to do something about it. And it needs to be a part of every policy discussion going forward. In the same way, this last week, and I'm ashamed in certain ways that it didn't occur to me before now in the most painful way, but I, this in the same way as climate change and divesting from fossil fuels, changing the way we treat each other as Americans, regardless of skin color or because of skin color, like this idea of reconciliation and making sure that black Americans and people of color around the world for that matter are given the same rights and treatment as anyone else. And also that, I mean, reparations do need me made in some way or another. I don't know where to start. I wouldn't know where to start, but that's a conversation. Like you said, in those steps that need to be taken, that's a conversation that needs to be had. And yeah, I'll check I, my, yeah, I'll go, <laughs> keep, keep going. I, I don't know how familiar with Ta-Nehisi Coates you are. I need, I need to start reading more of his books. I've just heard great interviews with him. But the most recent one with Ezra Klein, one of the highlighted elements was that he is hopeful. And if you know anything about him, he's been kind of pessimistic over the years about race relations and about the potential for black people to receive what they deserve from America. But right now, of all times, he's hopeful because he sees a, he sees a sort of a paradigm shift taking place. More people caring than have ever cared before. It's sinking in finally. That's what he's observing. And I, don't, I mean, if social media is any indicator, and I wish there were better indicators, and I'm pretty sure there will be down the line. But if, any, if that's any indicator, more people are being shaken out of their apathy and ignorance myself included. And that take, you know, it's a, it's a humbling experience for anyone mm. who has not been a part of this fight on a personal level until now. Right. There's, there's this interconnectivity woven into this story that has finally, we're finally is, acknowledging that you know, we're part of it. Reaching our no ears, matter you know, how like, remote okay. from it you are, you're a part of it and you can help. Right. You must help. It's incumbent upon every American to become a part of this and contribute. Even in a small way, whether it's showing up to a protest or showing up to a city council meeting. That, that's what I did on Tuesday. I showed up to a city council meeting virtually and presented research from Samson Youngway about how to the best practices for reducing police violence. And now we've got the eight can't wait campaign, which is already gone more than viral. Like it's all there and it's out. It needs to be shared, shared and insisted upon until the changes are made. And that's going to take a big push. Yeah. I believe that's what it's called. Eight can't wait. And it, it, and it includes some stuff we were talking about before, but it, that's um, Dury McKesson is directly connected to that. Um, it's, it is a product of him and Brittany Packnett and Samson Youngway, who are also the hosts of 
Crooked Media's Podsafe no, yeah. People, I'm... which has won multiple Webbies for best podcast. Man. <laughs> Gabe Sanders with a wealth I listen to too many podcasts. Uh... <laughs> and here I am on another. Um, Ain't it the life. A... But this is a medium. This is how we do it. it Get is, this out, man. The Get this to a, people. A, a like, we're just a couple of, you know, grad... Well, no more grad students. We're grads. We've got a, we've got masters. What are we masters of? Huh. <laughs> Master of um, nothing yet. That is the um, question. Um, master masters of. Fine. But Yar, um, other than that, I'm glad we had the conversation though. Sweet man, um, just just with what I'm seeing, um, and. Man, fascinating yeah. front that we're on in terms of, you know, watching the, this develop. It, it's um, been like the tension for it has been building and building, and it's reached a critical point. Critical mass of people yeah, are just, getting involved at this point. There's no turning back. Well, much love, man. Um, I I will be in touch between and, and now and the the release of this. Yar. And uh, yar. Yar. Um, <sighs> You too, Stay brother. safe. I will uh, enjoy dinner. Holla at you soon. Peace. Since Angelo and I recorded that conversation, a lot has happened in the public conversation about the Aid Can't Wait campaign and the best ways to address the pandemic of police violence in this country, especially against black people and people of color. Uh, it happens with white people, too. There are some really salient examples of that. Daniel Shaver uh, is one. Obviously, though, George Floyd has been the catalytic force for this. Uh, recent uprising, revolution, uh, manifestation of strong public sentiment, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I hope it's revolutionary. And maybe the Eight Can't Wait campaign, which is largely centered on reform, maybe that isn't enough. Uh, a lot of city police departments are already enacting some of the policies related to that and it's not enough and you know how i know that it's because the people living in those cities across the country are saying so these demonstrations mean something uh they mean everything really they are why things will change and whether it's based on principles outlined at eight can't wait or whether it's based in principles related to defunding or rather dismantling and then reconstituting a public safety unit in a city or municipality or county uh, based more with more emphasis on social services and addressing the needs of the community without policing as the primary method. There's a lot to be done and the conversation needs to continue and you can look forward to hearing more on the Miss Radio podcast. I, myself, Gabe Sanders, I will be recording short interviews with people at a rally tomorrow night here in Sonoma County, asking them why they are rallying, what they support, what their ideas are, what they'd like to see change. You can look forward to that sometime soon. Thanks for tuning in to Miss Radio. Be well.